Well, brothers and sisters, this morning, as you know, we continue our series going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And if you remember last week, if you were here, we looked at verses 12 through 18 there. And there we saw that it was Paul's desire, and it's our desire too, for Christ to be proclaimed and magnified. And we said even at the beginning, that's last week, and we continue today, that is our desire as Christians. We want Christ to be proclaimed. We ultimately want Christ and not ourselves to be made much of. And as we said, that's part of the miracle of being a Christian. We really do want this. And last week, if you remember, we saw how this was happening through Paul's imprisonment. We, got, we saw how God took this seemingly negative situation and all along was using it for good. And so Paul concluded at the end of our passage last week in verse 18, even when he was in prison, saying, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Which brings us to this week. And now this week we pick off right where we, we pick up right where we left off, and we continue with these same themes. The themes of joy and of Christ being made much of. And you can see that these are the themes in our text again this week just by looking at our text at verse 18 and then verse 20. First, look at your Bibles. We're beginning, it's interesting, in the middle of a verse here. You can see that for yourself. So Paul's rejoicing in Christ being proclaimed in verse 18. And then he continues and says, yes, and I will rejoice. And then he goes on. And so that theme is still the theme in our passage, this theme of joy But then second, we also see this theme of Christ being honored in our text in verse 20. There Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I won't be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So once again, the goal here in our passage again is for Christ to be honored, for Christ to be made much of. And so those are their two themes last week, joy and Jesus being made much of, and there are themes again this morning, which brings us to our time here this morning. So this week, as you notice, we're only covering a few verses in Philippians, just verse 18 in the middle through verse 21. But we do that because, as you might have noticed as well, we're arriving now at one of our most famous passages in Philippians, and maybe even the whole Bible, and one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and that's Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we're going to see in this week and next, this section of scripture is so famous for a good reason. Not only is Philippians 1.21 beautiful, but the, the passage is beautiful as well. So what we'll be doing next week and this week is we're going to be covering this whole section here. This week we're going to be covering verses 18 through 21. And the next week, we're going to pick up with verse 21 again, because it's that important, and go through verse 26. But that leads us to this week. So as you said, there's these two themes that are still in our text, that of joy and that of making much of Jesus, honoring Christ. And so what we're going to see in our passage for a simple outline is Paul's going to give three reasons to rejoice. Three reasons to rejoice, all three of which honor Christ. So that's simple. That's our outline. We're going to see Paul give three reasons to rejoice, and one's going to come in each of those verses. One in verse 19, one in verse 20, and then one in verse 21. And you can see that this actually is the structure kind of given to us from our text, because verse 18 ends with, yes, and I will rejoice. You see that. But then verse 19 starts with the word for, or because. 
In other words, in the few sentences we're about to read, Paul's giving reasons why he rejoices. Yes, I will rejoice because, and he gives reasons that he rejoices, and the reasons that honor Christ, and the reasons that apply to us as well. So that said, let's now see Paul's first reason why he rejoices and why we should rejoice in our text. And that I'll come by reading verse 19. So start again in the middle of verse 18, reading through verse 19. Look down at your Bibles. The Bible says this. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So remember the context. As we've been saying for weeks now, Paul's in prison writing all this. And the first reason he rejoices here is the Bible says on the face of it, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And on the face of it, it looks like he might be saying that he knows that he'll be released from prison and that's what gives him joy. But when we look more closely, I actually don't think that's exactly what Paul is saying that he's rejoicing because he knows he'll be released from prison. And there's at least three reasons for this, and I want you to see them. First, look with me ahead at what he's about to say in verses 22 and 24. Here we'll see that he actually doesn't know if he's going to be released from prison. We'll cover these more next week, but look quickly. Verses 22 through 24, Paul's about to write, If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ because that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So you can see it for yourself there. He says, which I shall choose, I can't tell. He can't tell if he's going to live or die. So that's the first reason why deliverance probably doesn't mean that he knows he's going to be released from prison. Which leads us to the second reason. Second, that Greek word there for deliverance is an important word, a word you might even know. It's the word soteria, which just means deliverance or salvation. This is important because this is the same word that is the root for one of Jesus' main titles. Jesus is the soter, which means he's the savior. And so soteria here is translated deliverance, which is fine, but we should realize that this is also the, Paul, the word that Paul uses all the time for salvation. And as we know, salvation for Paul and salvation in the New Testament is not mainly usually just a release from something like prison. Instead, salvation is this full deliverance and salvation and rescue from sin and sorrow and pain and all of that forever. Which leads to the third reason why this deliverance probably isn't just deliverance from prison. And that's, you can see it for yourself in verse 19, that Paul says he knows he will be delivered. And this is important because that word just, of course, means to know something as a fact. And so Paul is saying that he knows as a fact, no matter what, that he will be delivered even if he isn't released from prison, like he says in verses 22 through 24. So the question is, what does Paul mean by deliverance? Well, you might be seeing the answer for yourself. What does Paul know will happen that gives him such joy? Well, he knows for a fact that he will be truly and finally forever delivered. Saved. Soteria. And it's knowing this that in the midst of his imprisonment gives him joy. 
Now, to be clear, I do think Paul's intentionally using a word that almost has a double meaning here. He's talking about his imprisonment, and then he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance, rescue, salvation. It's all the same word. I think we're supposed to see that that word fits his situation in prison, but let's not think that the ultimate reason Paul rejoices here was simply because he hoped to be released from prison. Instead, he's saying, yes, I will rejoice. Why? Because I know that no matter what, I'm okay. I will be forever and finally saved. That's how this will turn out. That's the ending to this story. And that's true of us too, church. And here's why the first reason here Paul rejoices and the reason should be a reason we rejoice too. The reason is because we know that no matter what we're going through, it will ultimately turn out in our final deliverance. And it's good to see Paul talk like this in the backdrop of what he was experiencing physically, how he was suffering. Because we all have things too that we might be suffering physically or going through temporarily. Whether it's a sickness or something physical or something at work or a relational strain, all of us have things that we'd love to be rescued from, even right now today. And to be clear, the Bible is, is very clear that the, the God does care about these things, right? There's promise upon promise from our Lord that he cares. And we even saw last week, if you remember, that God is the one who's always taking these seemingly negative things and using them for our good. But what God doesn't promise in the Bible is that we'll be delivered from those physical and temporary things in this life in the way that we wish. He just doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise that we'll be fully healed in this life or that every relationship of ours will be great again. Just like he didn't necessarily promise Paul that Paul would be released from prison. But what God does promise is that everything we're going through ultimately will turn out for our deliverance. He does promise and he guarantees that no matter what we're going through, we will be able to look back at it. I I want you to think this way. We'll be able to look back at this all in a hundred years and look at what we're going through and say all of that, all that I was going through was really working for my good and it all turned out in this deliverance. And in this way, Maybe you're noticing that what Paul's talking about here is similar to that beautiful promise that we saw in chapter 1, verse 6. That God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Because what Paul is saying here is he's essentially applying that promise to himself. I mean, he's in prison, remember, in a physically tough situation, just like some of us might be. But he's able to rejoice in the midst of it. Why? Because he knows this will turn out for his deliverance. And notice, it's something he believes, yes, but let's be clear, he knows it. That's what the Bible says. And knowing it, he has a unique joy. So that's the first reason Paul rejoices. He knows this will turn out for his deliverance. But before we go on to the next verse and the second reason, I want us to notice what he says in the middle of the verse because this is also important and applicable for us. Because there, you might have noticed, Paul gives the means or the way that he knows this is going to happen. And it's really fascinating to see what he says. So he knows he'll be delivered, finally and forever. But how will this happen? See for yourself in verse 19, quote, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
And so we often get the latter part of that. The spirit of Jesus, God himself, is going to help Paul reach final deliverance. That makes sense. But notice, that's not all Paul says. It's through the spirit that Paul will be delivered, yes. But it's also through the prayers of God's people. In other words, part of the means, Paul says, that God is using to deliver Paul is the prayers of God's people. (laughs) And that's amazing. Because notice how nonchalantly, really, Paul puts these two together. Because imagine if I were to ask you, how will you finally be delivered? How will that come about? What will that process look like? I'm sure you would answer by God's grace, right? By the help of Jesus, by the help of the Spirit of Christ. And that's right. But would you add, and through the prayers of God's people? Probably not, but Paul does. And it shows us that he really views, that the Bible really does view prayer as that important. That's why Paul's been praying so much for the Philippians. And that's why when he talks about his final and future deliverance, he's saying that part of him getting there is because God's people are praying for him. And so the application for us here is to realize, yes, we rejoice because God is the one who will finally deliver us, but also the Bible teaches that God uses means to bring his people to glory. And one of those means is the prayers of God's people for one another. And so as we've been saying for weeks now, because it keeps coming up, let's once again take this call from God's word and apply it. Let's be a people, church, who really pray for one another. Really pray for one another. And that's one of the many reasons, since Steve just announced it in the Bible studies, why we'd love for you to really be a part of one of these men's and women's women's Bible studies. Because what we're doing in these studies is, of course, hearing from God and his word, but we're also gathering in community to know one another more and to see how we can pray for one another more. So we'd really love for you to be part of a Bible study for many of those reasons. And so again, let's be a people who really pray for one another. And why? Because verse 19 is amazing. Because it's through the spirit of Jesus Christ, but it's also through the prayers of God's people that will lead us to our final deliverance. So that's verse 19. And there we saw the first reason to rejoice, and that's because we know we'll be finally delivered, which really can give us joy no matter what we're going through. But that leads to the next verse. And here we'll see Paul give his second reason why he rejoices. So let's see what he says. Philippians 1, verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that it will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So you can see here, Paul's explaining his emotions. He's saying it's his eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored, and and that's what's driving him. But to see the depth of what's really going on here, notice with me just a few things that he says. To begin, look how he calls this his eager expectation and hope. And I point that out because that's a unique way of talking. Hope is one of Paul's main characteristics, one of the main characteristics of a Christian in the Bible. And it means to just really believe something is going to happen in the future. That's just what Christian hope is. It doesn't have the idea of uncertainty like our English word hope does. Instead, Christian hope is really believing that God's going to do something in the future. So Paul talks about hope a lot, but what he doesn't talk about a lot is that term there, eager expectation. 
And this is an important word here. And in fact, it's only one word in the original language. And it's only used by Paul in the Bible. And he only uses it twice in all of his writings. And some scholars think that Paul might have even made this word up. And it's a compound word. So it's one word that's made up of other words. It's a compound word that consists of three different words. Literally, if you read in Greek, it's just the word away, head, look. Away, head, look. It's just the word. And so literally this mean word, this word, this eager expectation means to, to turn your head away from something and to eagerly look at something else. To take your head and turn it away from something and to eagerly look at something else. And so think about what Paul's saying here. It's his eager expectation and hope. Meaning he's turning away from fixating on his imprisonment in the situation that looks not great. And he's eagerly turning and looking at something else. And so the question is, what is he looking at? What is he fixating his gaze at? The rest of verse 20. That I will not be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so there it is. That's the second reason we can rejoice also in our text. And that's by looking away from your current situation and looking toward how Christ will, and that's a promise, how Christ will be honored in your life and even in your death. And in some ways then, if you're noticing, this is kind of the flip side of what we saw in verse 19. Because if in verse 19, Paul's joy came from the fact that he will be finally delivered. Here in verse 20, his, his joy is in the fact that Christ will finally be honored. And both are true and both go hand in hand, right? We get the help and God gets the glory. And the same assurance and joy that we see from Paul is available to us. Because as we've seen from a couple we- for a couple weeks now, it is the Christian's desire for Christ to be honored and Christ to be made much of. And the truth is, if you are a Christian, Christ will be honored in your life and even in your death. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't sin, nor does it mean that you won't keep struggling with certain temptations, but it does mean that you can take confidence in the fact That the one who is most committed to God being glorified through your life is God himself. He will see to it that Christ will be honored in your life. And that being the case, you can rejoice. You can turn your head away from looking at all these things that seem to not look so good, that seem to take you down, and you can focus your gaze on the fact that God is using your life and Christ will be honored through your life, and even your death. And to be clear, we're to do this and believe all of this, church, not in some wishy-washy or insecure way, because notice, because of the gospel, we can believe that Christ will be honored in our lives with courage, as verse 20 says. We can do this in an unashamed way, as verse 20 says. Courage, because although we're still in the midst of this battle, we know God is on our side. Unashamed, because although in the midst of all of this, believing Christ is going to be honored in my life, in the midst of that, you still know that you have such sin. You can do it unashamed because you know because of the cross, your sin is forgiven. And so verse 20 is telling us that we can look with eager expectation to how Christ will be honored in our living and our dying. And we can do that with courage and without shame. And again, not because of who we are, That's not the point. 
but because of the gospel, because of Jesus and who he is and what he did for us and how he is committed to glorifying himself through how we live. And so believing and knowing all this, we have, church, a special joy. Which finally brings us to the last reason Paul rejoices in our text and why we should too. So the first reason is it will turn out for our deliverance. Second is we know that Christ will be honored in our lives. That leads us to joy. Our third reason then comes in verse 21, which is our famous verse here in our section. Let's read it though. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So there's the third reason Paul has joy and why we should rejoice too. He rejoices because to him, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But let's see what the Bible really means by this. And to see what Paul and the Bible means by this, we need to see that connection between verse 20 and verse 21. This is really important. So look down at your Bibles. You see there's a connection between verse 20 and 21. Notice this connection. Notice three things here. First, notice verse 20 ends with the idea of Christ being honored by life or by death. Then notice verse 21 begins with the word for, meaning because, and then verse 21 talks also about life and death. So you see that. You have life and death for, because, life and death. So the question is, how did these connect? How do these two verses connect? Well, putting them together, the connection seems to be this, and I think you can see it. Verse 20 is talking about how Christ is honored in life and death. And then verse 21 with the four shows us why Christ is honored in life and death. And why is Christ honored in Paul's life and death? Because to him, to live is Christ, and to him, to die is gain. And this means we can sum up these verses here in verse 21 with two points, one about life and one about death. First, Paul believes Christ will be honored by his life. Why? Because in his living, his life is Christ. And second, the second point is Paul believes Christ will be honored by his death, and why? Because to him, to die is gain. So let's take each one of those to see why this is Paul's foundational joy. First, Paul says to live is Christ. I'm sure we've all heard that. We'll come back to this more next week because it is so beautiful. But for now, just notice the simplicity of what he says. It is even poetic in the original language. It, it has almost a rhyming feature here, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But he's basically saying that when he looks at all his life, all he can do, who he is, why he is who he is, his dreams and aspirations, he just looks at it and says, it's, it's Christ. And in the original language, it's as vague as it is here in the English, to be clear. But what this means, clearly, is he looks at his life and it's all because of Christ. It's all sustained by Christ. It's all for Christ. It's all defined by Christ. In other words, Paul looks at his life and everything going on and he says, you know what? My life is really just all about Jesus. What he's done for me, who he is for me. I love him and I want him to be made much of. And the Bible, connecting 20 and 21, those verses, is saying that him thinking like that, to live as Christ, is honoring to Christ. You see that? That's the point. Verse 20, Christ will be honored in my life. Why? Verse 21, because to me, to live is Christ. So that's something Paul experiences personally. It's how he defines his life, and it honors Christ. But now consider that second clause, and to die is gain. 
And remember how verse 20 and 21 connects. So Paul says, Christ will be honored by my death. Why? Because when I die, I see death as gain. So now ask yourself, why would Christ be honored by Paul seeing dying as a good thing? Why wouldn't that just make Paul some weird guy who's okay with death? Why is Jesus honored by this? And the answer comes, it's something we'll see more next week. But that's in verse 23. So let's briefly read verse 23 and see why Paul sees death as grain. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So if you're tracking, why does Paul see death as gain? Because in death, he gets to be with Christ. And he says that's far better. And so now the biggest question of all is, why does this honor Christ? Well, the answer is because this means that Paul's looking at his life. You can put it this way. Paul's looking at his life and all he has to do and who he is and all his dreams and aspirations and everything he thinks he can do, even for Christ. He's looking at his life and then he's looking at Jesus and who he is and what he's done for him and how he's with him and how he'll get to be with him when he dies. And he's saying, you know what, if I'm to die, that's actually better. Why? Because I get to be with Christ, and Christ is better. And so this means, if you're tracking, that really, the final reason Paul rejoices in this verse is, yes, because to live is Christ and to die is gain, but foundational to this verse is the deep-hearted belief and feeling that Christ is better. Christ is is better. I mean, that's why, think about it this way, that's why when Paul looks at his life, he doesn't define it any other way, to live as Christ, because what better reason would there be to be alive than for Christ? What would be a better way to define your life except Christ? And that's also why when Paul looks at his death, he can call it gain. Why? Because he knows that when he dies, he'll finally get to be with Jesus. And once again, this is honoring to Jesus. It glorifies Jesus. It makes much of Jesus because it shows that Paul really wants and loves Jesus. Right? Just like it would be honoring to my wife for me to want to really spend time with her and want to be with her. So on a much larger scale here, here it is honoring and glorifying to Jesus that Paul wants to live for Christ and that Paul even wants to, he's okay with dying so he can be with Christ. It's honoring to Jesus to look at everything and say, I live for Christ. I even die for Christ. Why? Because Christ is better. And the same joy and honoring of Christ is for us the more that we think like this too, church. And so it is something to ask ourselves, do you see Jesus as better than everything else? I know that sounds vague, but I don't mean this in a vague way. I mean when you compare everything you have who you are, your plans, your hopes, your gifts, your possessions, when you compare all of that to Jesus and his gospel and what he's done for you and his love and his promises and how you will get to be with him when you die, what do you treasure more? Which is better to you? And this really is the overarching question that authenticates everything we've talked about so far in our text. Because think of it this way, if, 
If you're somebody who treasures your stuff in this life more than Jesus, then everything else we talked about in this passage will unravel. It'll unravel. It won't work. Because if that's the case, then we won't have joy when circumstances are tough because we won't be rejoicing in our ultimate deliverance. Instead, we'll be so caught up in what's not right here in our problems in the here and now. And not only that, if that's the case and we don't rejoice in Christ above everything, then we won't rejoice in Christ being honored in our lives because if we're honest, we don't really care that much about him. We don't really care if he's honored. And then finally, if Jesus isn't our supreme treasure, we won't have the joy of being able to say to live as Christ and to die as gain. And why won't we be able to say that? Because if we're honest, we love life more than Christ. And so we won't be able to say death is gain. And so if we don't see Jesus as better, then all of this will unravel. But if we do agree and believe that Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us is honestly better than anything in the world, then we will finally start to feel more of how the Apostle Paul talks in our passage. Because if that's the case, then we will start to look past our poor-looking circumstances and look forward to our final deliverance. Why? Because we can't wait for that because then we'll get to be with Christ. And if that's the case, then we will have a unique courage and unashamedness in our lives. Why? Because we know the gospel and we know Jesus and we know he's for us and we love him above all else. And if that's the case, if we really do treasure Jesus, then we will be able to say to live as Christ and die as gain And we'll be able to mean it and actually love it. Why? Because we really do want Jesus. We really do think he's better in our lives and also when we come to die. So that's our text. We saw three reasons why Paul rejoiced and why we can rejoice, all of which honored Christ. First, we rejoice because we look forward to our ultimate deliverance. Second, we rejoice because we know Christ will be honored in our lives And then third and above all, we rejoice because we know that our lives are all about Jesus and that even when we come to die, it's better because we get to be with Jesus. Now as we close, I just want to make one final application to us all after what we saw this morning. As we said earlier, we are going to come back to verse 21 next week and go through verse 26 and we will unpack even more of what it means to say to live as Christ and die as gain But as for a final application this morning, I just want to press home to each one of us what we saw from Paul here. And I need to be clear that it needs to be said that seeing Paul here and how he feels, this is exemplary. I mean, you can tell, and he's often like this in the Bible, you can tell that he's a very sanctified man who's really close to the Lord here. And so he is a role model for us all. We should feel that. But also, in another sense, I want to make it clear that what the Bible says here and what we saw in our text is something that every Christian should feel in part or at least want to really feel, to look forward to the day of our deliverance, to rejoice in Jesus, to want to honor Jesus, to really want to be with Jesus. And so perhaps the best application for us as we close is to simply ask, do I resonate with what Paul says here, what the Bible's talking about here. Do I resonate with it? Meaning, if you're honest with yourself and your own personal emotions and feelings, do you rejoice at your future deliverance? 
Do you really rejoice at the fact that Christ will be honored and do you look forward to the day when you will finally be with Jesus? I think it's good to close like this, asking this, because this is honestly one of the best gauges for us to use to see where we are spiritually with the Lord. And again, we are not talking about perfection. None of us wants this perfectly. Sin and brokenness still exist very much for the Christian, but it needs to be said that the Bible does portray a Christian as someone who doesn't just believe the facts about Jesus' existence, but personally feels, has been changed, personally feels a little like our text here, that Jesus is who I need, that Jesus is who I want, who I want to honor, that Jesus is better. We're using an analogy from Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. A Christian is someone who comes to Jesus to satisfy their thirst. That's how Jesus talks about it. Because that's essentially what we've been seeing from Paul here this morning. It's not just that he believes in Jesus' existence. It's that Jesus is so great to him. It's that Paul personally loves Jesus, treasures Jesus, wants to honor Jesus. And he does so, so much that he's able to say, you know what, to live is Christ. And he's able to say, when I die, that's gain. Because I get to go be with Christ. So again, do you resonate with that? The question is, do you resonate with it? Not, do I feel it perfectly? Meaning, do you want to be more like Paul here? Because I think that's why he's saying what he's saying. He's giving the Philippians and us an example. An example of what it looks like to really want Jesus, love Jesus, to believe and trust in Jesus. And so, do you resonate with it? Do you want to be more like this? And if you are here and you realize that if you're honest, you don't want this, or you don't feel like that at all, I do want to just say first, I'm really thankful that you are being honest. It is so good for us to gauge ourselves and see where we're really at. But if that's the case, then I would encourage you to really, this morning, just relook at the gospel of Jesus. We look at these truths that Jesus is real, that he's good, that he died and rose to forgive sin and to give his people joy forever. Because the security and joy that Jesus offers his people, like what we saw here this morning when Paul is in prison, is truly better than anything the world can offer. So if you're here this morning and you admit that you don't feel anything like that, I encourage you to relook at the gospel. Ask yourself, do I really believe it? Do I really love Jesus? Or is this just something I'm doing to get out of hell or for some other reason? And if you don't really believe it, don't really love Jesus, again, I encourage you to really maybe trust in Jesus for the first time. Maybe even this morning. Because it's worth it. It's worth it to be able to say, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Saying that and really meaning it is better than anything the world could give you. But then finally, for those of us here who do love Christ and resonate with this and at least say, yes, I want to be more like that. Let's be thankful for what we saw here this morning. Let's be thankful, church, that this will turn out for our deliverance. Let's be thankful that Christ is using us and will be honored in our lives. And let's be thankful that even when we die, it's gain. Because then we get to go be with Christ. So let's believe this. Let's know this to be true because the more we think like this, the more Christ will be honored the more joy we'll have and the more we will genuinely be able to say, you know what, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then let's take the Lord's Supper together.